Thank you, Dan and Ensemble and Instrumentalists for beautiful worship today. We continue our sermon series from the Luke and Gospel. Turn to Luke chapter 23. The last words of our Lord. The last words of our Lord. According to our lifetime in numbers, the average life expectancy is 78.5 years. We take an average of 7,163 baths during our lifetimes, some a little more than others, some a little less. We consume 845 cans of baked beans during the average lifetime. We use 276 tubes of toothpaste. And best part of all, we consume 10,354 chocolate bars during the average lifetime. Now, I've done more than my fair share on the beans and the chocolate bars, for sure. What I want us to focus on today is that during the average lifetime, we speak 123,205,750 words. Approximately 123 million words each of us will speak during her or his lifetime. And surely some words are more important than others. We put a lot of emphasis on first words. What's the first word that baby might say or utter? And of course, I hoped and planned and prayed that each of my girls would say, Dada first. But everyone said, Mama first. It might have helped that she was home all day with them saying, say mama, say mama, say mama, say mama. First words are awfully important. There are other words that are important as well, like I do, I love you. Words that transform. Jesus is Lord. But if words are important, first words are especially important, then surely last words are vital as well. Today, we look at the seven last words of the Christ, as they're called. In speaking of dying, the author suggests that the words of Jesus can be outlined around seven, seven different emphases. We've already looked at examples as we've gone through the Gospel of Luke when Jesus is predicting his suffering, the cross, and his resurrection. And, well, the dense disciples, they are in denial, and they will not admit that Jesus is going to suffer. But today we look, and thank goodness Scripture preserves our Lord's last words. Well, the first words come from Matthew 27, 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Words of lament. If you're a student of Scripture, you know almost immediately that Jesus is quoting the Psalter. You might even know that he's quoting Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They communicate a sense of utter and absolute abandonment. It's a feeling of hopelessness, of having been so long in the presence and the glory of the Father to now as the Son, the Christ, to have God turn His back on you. 
God turns his back on his own son because his son is bearing my sin and your sins. And God is completely holy and righteous. And the one that is holy and righteous can have no fellowship with our sin. Psalm 22 is not the only psalm he quoted, the psalm of lament. Psalm 6, Psalm 38, Psalm 39, Psalm 41, 88, 102. Listen to Psalm 6. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I'm pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed. My soul is greatly dismayed. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness. I'm very weary with sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with tears. The psalmist is suffering. Perhaps physically and psychologically suffering. And he feels the absence of God. That's what Jesus is saying on the cross. It's a song of lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew the Father as creator, and he knew the Father as one who hears the cries of his children. God should be there, it seems, but he's not. At the most dire moment of the Messiah, God is gone. He turns his back. My God, my God, where are you? Sometimes in those fearful moments of the darkness of our souls, it feels as if God is not there for us. In fact, one of my friends, Dr. Drew Schaffner, while we were PhD students at Baylor University, he did his whole 300-page PhD dissertation on the absence of God in the Psalms. All the times that the psalmist, like Psalm 6, Psalm 22, Psalm 38, Psalm 39, when the psalmist is looking for God and God is not to be found, my God, my God, I need you and you are not here. Lessons from the last words of our Lord. We can be honest when we cry out to God. Have you ever thought about the fact that when you try to hide something from God, that he already knows what you're feeling and you're thinking anyway, you don't see a psalmist hiding his feelings. They are quite candid. My God, my God, how long? Where are you? I need you. I'm looking for you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me. The second word is a word of forgiveness. Look at verse 34 in our text today in Luke 23. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Father, forgive them. The, the second words are words of forgiveness. Even while the murderous mob puts him to death, Jesus says to his very executioners, Father, forgive them. Forgiving words, healing words are always good words when they're spoken as the last words. Leaving no relationship broken, leaving no business unfinished. I stand at the head of a casket right here or in the chapel or at the graveside over a thousand times. Don't even count. And I can tell you that the one who lingers the longest at the casket is a child who has unfinished business with the father or the mother. 
Everybody else is already loaded in the limousine, but somehow this son who hasn't communicated with his father in 10 years thinks if he lingers for 10 more minutes at the casket, somehow a whole lifetime of a broken relationship can be repaired. Words of forgiveness need to be spoken before death. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Jesus is praying for his persecutors. He models exactly what he told his disciples to do. You have heard it said, but I say to you, love your enemies. Now, it was customary for the one being accused to cry out for vengeance, to threaten the executioners in the next life, to put a woe upon them. Listen to Psalm 69 how the psalmist talks to his enemies. This is what we'd expect Jesus to say when he's being crucified as an innocent man. May their eyes grow dim so that they cannot see. Make their loins shake continually. Pour out your indignation upon them, God, and may your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be desolate and may no one dwell in their tents. That's what you expect God to say, Jesus to say. God himself, but instead he says, Father, Forgive them. Forgive them. Stephen, while he's being stoned in the Acts of the Apostles, and the one named Saul is holding the coats, Stephen has learned a lesson from the Lord. For Stephen, even as he's dying, says about those who murder him, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. It's good to repair all our relationships along the journey of life, but if there's any undone at the end, we must forgive. She was close to death after a long life, and Josephine was on a mission. With one foot in heaven, the elderly lady had the determination to stay alive until forgiveness was found in her family. On the day of her death, they removed life support. It was her request, and the doctors expected her to live for just a few moments, minutes at best, and they were baffled. The minutes became an hour, and the hour became hours, and the morning became an afternoon. She had already been battered by severe respiratory problems, but she managed to breathe on her own because there was unfinished business in her family. She was on a mission, a mission of forgiveness. She was born in Venezuela in 1920. There were two of her daughters, Joe and Debbie, who experienced a terrible rift in their relationship. It was a type of rift that too many families know all too well. Disagreements grew until an abyss was formed. It was dark and it was cold. This abyss between two sisters and occasionally a fire would flare up in the middle of the dark coldness, a bitter heat that only sealed the doorway tight and shut between the sisters. See, Josephine who'd requested no extraordinary means to keep her alive, was herself doing something extraordinary. The family gathered together. Joe, one of the sisters in the rift, recalled, we sang hymns in English and we sang hymns in Spanish and then we told stories about our mother and our grandmother and 
well, we all agreed we didn't want her to die alone, and so we stayed and came and went, but someone was always there, and the minutes turned into hours, the hours turned into the afternoon, and well, she remained alive, breathing on her own, and everybody else just went home and said, call us when it's finally done. Several months prior, she had said to her daughter, Joe, I want you and Debbie to make up. I want it to be okay. Mom knew, Joe remembers, that Debbie and I had not been friends, much less sisters. I just ignored her. I changed the subject. Well, what did you have for lunch today? But now that we were there at her bedside and she was dying, her question, her request, her dying wishes came back to me. Joe's friend Marlene said, go and do it. What do you have to lose? What are you afraid of? I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid of going to Debbie and Debbie rejecting me, Joe said. But Joe approached Debbie in the hallway, not knowing she'd be told to take a hike or get lost or no way. But Joe remembers she told her sister why she believed their mother was hanging on. She's waiting for us to make up. Debbie's response was instantaneous. Joe, I want my sister back, she said. The darkness was gone. The doors were blown open. The relationship was restored. And while they were in the hallway mending their sister fences, they heard Marlene sobbing inside the room with their mother. They feared that she had passed before she knew, but Marlene was in there telling their mom in her own language that the daughters were doing as she had asked that they were making up. Marlene said as she told these words to their mother that a, a tear rolled down her cheek the very last moment that they knew that Josephine was with them. Joe says, I put my hand on mother's hand and Deb put her hand on top of mine and we told her, we are sisters again. Upon that utterance, our mom took her last breath, surviving on her own for a total of a little over five hours, trying to fix a relationship that had been broken for 13 years. Words of forgiveness. Father, when it comes to eternity, don't hold this against them. The third word is the word of hope. Look at verse 39 of our text. And one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, he said, Do you not even fear God since you were under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The third words of our Lord are words of hope. Have you ever noticed what the thief calls our Christ? He calls him Jesus. That doesn't happen much in the Gospels. He's usually rabbi or teacher or sir or Lord. 
But this thief calls him by his name, Jesus. And interestingly enough, this criminal, unlike his colleague in crime, the one hurling abuse, does not ask. Notice, he does not ask for earthly deliverance, but rather he asks for eternal hope. The question goes something like this. Sometime in the future for eternity, when you come into your kingdom, you have a place there for me. How did he know? He wasn't there in the upper room when Jesus said to his disciples that he had a kingdom that was coming and they would sit at a table in the kingdom and break bread and drink the fruit of the vine. How did he know? Surely the same God who revealed to Simon Peter, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, had revealed to this thief on the cross that this one, for he acted as if God had the power in Christ to give mercy. Notice the words, truly I say to you. This is used on six different times in Luke's gospel. And every time we have the formula, Jesus saying, truly I say to you. Every time you have that formula, it's about judgment or God's reign. And so it is here. It's about judgment and the reign of God. When my kingdom comes, in fact, even today, you don't have to wait. Today, you will be with me. In paradise. Words of hope. The fourth words are, are words that express the physical deed. In John 19, 28, he says, I am thirsty, or I thirst, Jesus said. He's a suffering man and he has physical needs, and often those who are dying ask for comfort in the midst of pain or soothing in the midst of suffering. Why, word number three, today you'll be with me in paradise, remind you this man on the cross is God. He can dispense the mercy of God in the covenant. But these words remind you he's human. I'm dying. I hurt. And I'm thirsty. The fifth words address the needs of others. Again, it comes from John 19. Jesus is dying on the cross and He looks to Mary, kind of glances over at the Apostle John and says, here's your new son. And then he looks over at John and he glances back at his mother Mary from the cross and he says, take care of your new mother. Part of the opportunity of dying is to make sure that those left behind are cared for. We know that Mary, we believe at this stage, was a widowed woman in that culture. She needed to be connected to a male to take care of her. And Jesus has brothers for for some reason. He chooses John. His brothers are not yet believers. And so he says to the beloved disciple, take care. Now make my mom your mom. Dying words to take care of the needs of others. The six words, the word that commits oneself to God. Look at verse 46. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, I'm leaving it with you. When Brent Clark's father, David Clark, was in hospice, 
I stood by his bedside and Brent was sharing about a conversation he'd had with his father about the gospel and Christ and forgiveness and the cross and our sins are forgiven and because of not who we are but who Christ is, when we die we go if we believe in him to the eternity of God's kingdom. We said a prayer together and well, David Clark said we'd said driving along the road with Brent Clark just earlier. He said upon the amen, yes, I'm his if he'll have me. Isn't that your condition? Isn't that my condition? Yes, I'm his if he'll have me. In Christ, he will have us. We turn from, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now, the words of reconciliation. Father, I commit myself into your hands. The last words spoken on the cross again come from John 19. They are words of acceptance. It is finished. What Jesus is saying that death is here. I've done everything that the Father has asked me to do. I've been completely obedient in my life, and now in my death, even death on the cross, so I prayed it wouldn't be so. In the Garden of Gethsemane, I have done what the Father has asked. It is finished. Paul said similar words in 2 Timothy. I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering in the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. It is finished. Words of acceptance. I visited a man in hospitals immediately taken to cardiac care unit. He was not a church member, but he was a personal friend and I went in and asked him how he was doing, and he said, they've called in hospice. It's over. Words of acceptance. If we have lived the life that God has called us to live, if we have been obedient in the task that God has given us to do, then we too can join our Lord and the Apostle Paul in saying, it is finished. It is finished. As we mature as followers of Jesus, we know that we're on a journey, a journey that doesn't have an end, but a journey that has a transition into eternity with God. We interpret our suffering. We seek forgiveness for our sins. We offer forgiveness for those around us. When death comes to our door, we don't panic, but hopefully we can speak words like the conversation of our Christ from the cross, and we can say, if you'll have me, I'm yours, and it is finished. Hope, forgiveness, confidence, Commit myself to the God who created me, saved me, sustained me, and redeems me. And care. That's your new mom. That's your new son.
you will speak 123 million plus words if you're average. But last words are awfully, awfully important. And these seven words are the last words of our Lord. Let us pray. Oh God, perhaps there's someone watching by way of television. Life is uncertain for her or for him right now. And hearing these words of our Lord, they see the Lord not only taught us how to live, but he taught us how to die. Maybe that person right there in his living room would say, Oh God, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I invite Jesus Christ into my life as my Lord and my Savior. I commit myself to him whether I have one day or 50 years. I'm his if you'll have me. And in Christ, he will. Oh, God, maybe there are others who hear this sermon and, and need that restored relationship in their own family or at the workplace. And maybe they need to hear those words of Jesus to those who for a murderous mob. Father, forgive them. And God, I know we all need to hear that word of hope. Today, the day of your death, you will find yourself in God's kingdom. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.